This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Look, we're deep in the legislative session. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm going to get into it with my co-host Vogue Robinson and our lead producer, Sonia Cho Swanson. We're talking about a bill to ban hate symbols, a bill that might stop online poker cheaters from getting away with stuff. And last but not least, CityCast Las Vegas's first birthday with mm, some surprise guests. It's Friday, March 31st. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Well, it's always weird to me, but Vogue, welcome to the show that you co host. <laughs> What's up, David? Good morning. And hi, Sonia Cho Swanson. Hello, hello. So, yeah, you know, this is every other year, I guess, we have to deal with this, uh, although I would like to deal with it more. But the legislative session is in full bloom. All the bills that can be dropped have been dropped. And there's a couple now for us to talk about. So let's jump right into it. There's one that came out a little controversial. You would think maybe not. Let's find out. Nevada bill targeting hate symbols. Vogue, what was that one all about? Senator, North Las Vegas Senator Pat Spearman is the primary sponsor for the bill. Um, It's her and the Anti-Defamation League. So they proposed a bill to make it illegal to draw a hate symbol in a public space or like in public view and and it's essentially like the anti-hate bat signal. <laughs> like oh. the, the purpose the purpose of the bill is to let people know, like, we don't tolerate hate speech in Nevada. If you're going to draw it on a building, on a billboard, on the side of your house where it's really visible next to, like, if you put something anti-Semitic on a school that's next door to a synagogue, it's a problem. And so Nevada shall not tolerate it. They want it to be, like, the first offense would be a misdemeanor, and then any subsequent of- offense would be a felony. That happened on Tuesday. There's opposition to it, and it's mostly like, oh, well, how are we going to protect free speech? Uh, and I don't I don't know how much I agree with some of the, <laughs> the things that um, Republican Senator Jeff Stone said. So what did Senator Stone say in opposition? So he said, oh, do I hate what the swastika represents today? 100% yes. But free speech must be protected, even if we don't like the message. Where hate speech is coupled with violence, that's the exception. And he's someone who, who says he has family who died in the Holocaust, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so he's just like, you know, throw books at the perpetrators, put them in jail for as long as you possibly can. Hmm. But his concern with the bill is that it's the definition. What is the definition of symbols of hate? And he thinks it's too subjective and too broad. David, honestly, because I think the, the question is really what is free speech, you know, and what is actually protected? So the concerns are manifold because you're dealing with speech, which, no surprise to anyone, is a First Amendment concern. And whenever you get into the intention or the motives of people, it gets really murky. So there's lots and lots and lots of case law, Supreme Court decisions, interpretations of the First Amendment over the years that 
pretty much is expansive in what it protects. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't like a lot of language in the world. We don't like profanity sometimes being uttered in public spaces. But you can say, fuck the draft and put it on your jacket and walk into a public building. It could be mm. provocative. You can burn the American flag. And you can burn the American flag. So when we get these, you know, hate symbols, they're often used in different ways. The common feeling in this country is that we don't want to preemptively or have zero tolerance for anything connected with speech, but that we have a marketplace of ideas and that if there is speech we don't like, we should drown it out with speech that we do. It's a tough road to go down sometimes because it could be very bumpy, very difficult, very hurtful. And we have these visceral reactions. You know, I have a visceral reaction to a swastika for probably obvious reasons related to my ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That said, I kind of am on the side of defacing public property is one thing. Um, sure. Trying to come up with the motive of why that person is doing it. They could just be stupid. They could just be on a goof. Right. They could be mentally ill. There are a lot of reasons why somebody would do that. They could just want to be provocative to start a conversation going. And mm-hmm. to have zero tolerance to me almost always in every situation equals we don't want to think about it. We want to be lazy and we want to have Ooh. sort of an iron fist of my way or the highway when it comes to the exchange of ideas and That has never helped any democracy. I want to jump here and add on to that, David. It's concerning to me if we are turning to the criminal justice system to be the arbiter of of what constitutes a hate symbol. To your point, David, somebody could be mentally ill. Some of these things could, I think, be resolved through some conversation. So I'll give an example from Koreatown in L.A. This was a few years ago, I think, shortly before the pandemic. There was a, a mural that was put up on a wall facing an elementary school with a largely Korean children, Korean population. And the mural had, um, in the background of the mural, there's the red rays of the sun, the, the red Japanese imperial flag, the red sun. You see that sometimes in like, yeah. yeah. So to a lot of Asians, like Koreans, that, that flag is a sign of imperialism in some really horrible years of colonialism. Mm. Some some Koreans say it's like akin to the swastika or to like a Confederate flag or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's and of course Japan defends its use as part of their history. The artist said, "Well, those red rays were not his intention. Like he, you know, saw them as just like a sun kind of broadly." And so what happened was then over the next like couple years was a series of conversations between the artist, the school, the parents, the community. They did not go through a criminal process, and it was a mediation process. And what happened was they actually redrew the mural with the artist to minimize the effect of the sun rays and incorporate figures from that community, Hmm. migrant workers, a Korean historical figure, images that actually reflected the community that mural was placed in. So that kind of like conversation back and forth seems like a much more fruitful way to move forward. I'm not saying it's going to happen in every single case. Like clearly the artist here was like open to the conversation. Mm -hmm. But imagine if this had been immediately turned over to some sort of criminal process. Wow. Yeah, the carceral system, not a great solve for societal issues and doesn't open up conversations. And again, zero tolerance means no creativity in dealing with anything that might be at the core of it. And so I I understand visceral reactions. I mean, Vogue, if you were to see uh, something targeted towards you in the public square, I'd imagine you'd feel like the people who did it should be harshly punished? Or is that an assumption I shouldn't make? 
I don't think I don't think it's about harsh punishment because I don't know whether or not punishment actually changes minds. Hmm. So if long term it's about education or finding out why this person did the thing that they did, you know, I mean, you know, what I want is what takes way more time. And so even if somebody is convicted of a misdemeanor or a felony, is that prohibitive? And I think that's what they want it to do. They want it to be prohibitive and they want people to, you know, think before you just draw something, mm-hmm. some a symbol like that mm-hmm. in the public. But is the impact just, okay, that's not allowed. Like it's, it's just, that's a big no-no. And I think anytime we don't tell people the why behind something, I, d- I don't know how helpful that that really is. You know, I appreciate the work that, that Senator Spearman does, but I don't know if, if this one I don't know how much traction this one will get because there's still Confederate flags flying in different areas. And and isn't that hate speech? Some people will, will fight until they die to their last breath that it's a symbol of Southern pride. You know, like they're going to mm-hmm. argue that it's Southern pride, even though it was created for people who are trying to secede from the Union. Mm-hmm. So um, miss me with that. <laughs> I'm not. But I know that people will, will. That's a hill they'll die on. Right. To that point, like what constitutes a hate symbol? Well, and they're trying to define it. And right now it's a pretty broad definition. And they're going back to the drawing board, according to the ADL, that's the Anti-Defamation League uh, lobbyist. They're going to try to narrow the language a little bit more. But why why dicker with it? You know, that's the thing is that there's always going to be some ambiguity. And there's always going to be consequence for people who are caught doing that or who are exposed doing that. So whether that consequence should go like you say, Sonia, into the carceral system, or if there's a better place for it that might be more time-consuming and expensive that you suggest, Vogue, uh, I think Nevada can handle it. It's just unfortunate that these instances are on the rise and people are worried and sometimes legitimately scared that it is foreboding of something really bad about to happen. But uh, it doesn't mean that we're ignoring these symbols. It just means that maybe we could be more creative and thoughtful on how we deal with the people who are doing it. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, guys. Not the only bill that's ruffling some feathers and causing a little bit of pushback. Uh, there's another one. There was a bill that as reported, is seeking to shine a light on cheating in online poker. Is cheating in poker like a big deal? Is that Does that happen a lot? How do you cheat in poker? Well, no, online poker, because you can't see the other pre- people's cards in online poker, right? Right, but you also can't see if people are working as teams with each other, communicating ah. on the side and telling each oh. other what their cards are. Or, you know, hacking, perhaps, or whatever else might be out there. I think it's more about teams. I think that's really what the deep concern here is, that there's people who are manipulating the system in online gambling because you don't know who they are. They can be behind these anonymous screen names and stuff. And They could have two accounts on two laptops side by side. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, online poker is a relatively new development in the world of gambling in Nevada was one of the first two states to be able to do it. It's since expanded a little bit. There are all these different compacts and rules about it to limit the ability to cheat. And when we say cheat, it is a statutory definition of cheating. It means to manipulate the odds or manipulate the outcomes of the game uh, beyond the randomness or the skill levels uh, that exist between the participants. And so there is a professional poker player. Her name is Sarah Shulhagian Ralston. She is a private person. Hey. She, yes, yes, Sonia, you recognize the name. I know that name. last name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she is married to arguably the most prominent journalist in all of Nevada, John Ralston. We first saw reporting of this in the Nevada Independent with a big-ass disclosure. This is John's wife. So, you know, no, no shenanigans, uh, mm-hmm. as one would expect from Nevada Independent. And yep. there was some pushback because what she was proposing and working with Assemblyman Steve Yeager was to essentially out the cheaters to come up with some mechanism for the Nevada Gaming Commission to essentially list the people who have been caught cheating and let that be public knowledge so that when an online poker player is on the platform playing poker against other people, that they would know that the person that they're playing with has been found to be a cheater so they're getting the scarlet letter. They're getting a nice scarlet C. <laughs> yeah, they could sort of decide whether or not they want to play with that person. And immediately everyone's like, wait, are you creating a new blacklist? Are you trying to mm-hmm. ban people because of it? And what are the standards and what is cheating? And how hard would they have to have been adjudicated? And where's their due process? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're like, oh, oopsie, let's go back to the drawing board with this particular one. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think the pitfalls, Sonia, would be of creating lists of hmm. people who have done wrong in even this forum? <sighs> Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit with, um, do you remember when they proposed the uh, the list of people who were animal abusers, like mm-hmm. a registry, <laughs> almost like a sex offender registry? Mm-hmm. And I think all the reading we did up on that topic indicated, at least in the you know, case of sex offenders, that these lists didn't do much to actually curb repeat offenders. So I, I guess in the case of poker lists like these, it's a, a question of, A, how effective will it be? And then also, are we creating some kind of privacy issue. I'm curious. What what do you think, Vogue? I find it interesting. I feel like the reason why uh, Mrs. Cholhagen Ralston was like upset is because when they drafted the bill, it wasn't supposed to be the creation of an online blacklist. That wasn't the point. The point was, I guess, to just find out 
who those players are, but it, it seems like they want to just really clarify the language along the line. So I think having a list is fine because I think if you know people are consistently cheating, I wouldn't want to be, I used to play online space. So like <laughs> space Ooh. was like the jam. I didn't but play it like for, for, like cash? for money. Okay. No, never for, for money. For I don't have enough money to play. I don't play. <laughs> But I, we played a lot of online spades. And so like, yeah, I never even thought about the fact that people would cheat. But it's like, yeah, you could easily call your friend and be on the phone and be like, what are your cards? And, and change up what huh. you play while you're sitting online playing the game. It also would be like bet manipulation. I mean, gaming is kind of a, a special uh, subcategory of it all. And so they could be like jacking up a, a pot from multiple players. I mean, there's a lot of strategy. Right, it's like raise. I raise you. Yeah, wow. and there's a lot of math. There's a lot of math involved in professional poker playing, a lot of percentages and, and risk propositions and things of that nature. And if you have hmm. people working in um, cahoots, they could be manipulating that math and driving up the value of a particular pot knowing that they have the better cards. And so hmm. that would be potentially, you know, problematic as well. And I can understand why a professional poker player who makes their livelihood in what is supposed to be a square game would mm -hmm. be concerned about people making it a little more curvy. I think the question is, is gambling ever really fair? <laughs> like, <laughs> is, is, it, is it ever actually a square game? Because the part of me that's like, no, sportsmanship. The part of me that's like, no, we're playing this game and I beat you because I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that part of me is like, no, you want to play the game fair and square. But is gambling ever fair and square? Well, well, it's the same thing as insider trading, right? It's manipulating a system that you know at least what the rules are. So if you're kind of changing the rules for yourself, then that makes it really awkward. And Nevada is the gold standard, as we like to say and proclaim, of gambling regulations. And if you're going to have gambling, which is already a sort of treacherous endeavor, which can potentially exploit vulnerable people, I'm not going to not say that, you got to at least have some certitude that the game is what it says it is, right? I just have so many questions because, first of all, how are you ever going to catch somebody who's cheating online? Theoretically, if they're behind their screens, like their phone call, you're never going to know if they are on a phone call with another player in a room, right? Uh, well, I think that that would put the onus on companies like Caesars Entertainment, who has the biggest one in operation, to really monitor the patterns and activity of the players. So if you see the same players at the same table, if you see somebody winning what would be uh, an anomaly of percentage of hands, if you go back and review some of the play action, and it doesn't seem to be normal or random, but very directed in a certain way, you could do further investigations and, you know, find mm -hmm. out what what is going on. I think that's the idea is that once you get to that level of certitude that cheating is happening, people get banned from these sites all the time and then they kind of come back in. But that's exactly the point. They keep coming back in. Like, I'm just thinking about how hard it is to get rid of online trolls. There's a podcast called The 11th and one of the episodes last year was about people who are being harassed online mm -hmm. and how it was just endless for years like they got you know the police involved and like but the the fact is like our systems aren't set up to deal with this because these people can just get new computers create new accounts like you know use vpns to get different ip addresses and it was just or have straw players with different social security numbers because you have to register your social security number oh, when wow. you go in well because wow. there's financial transactions so of right. course they have to be tracked 
Sure, sure. But even so, like, I mean, the internet is just full of all of these tiny little cracks and, and fissures and nooks and crannies. I mean, it's just impossible to truly ever get rid of somebody's presence online. It's an intriguing concept to make sure that we have laws in place to affirm the integrity of gambling. But how, how many people, though, does this issue affect? And this is time being spent to kind of work this out in a very short legislative session. Is this an issue that really needs the attention of our legislature in 2023 right now? I think as a state, I think we have our hands in so much of gambling. And I think even in the article, it says that we also are partnered with Delaware to like take care of gambling in other small states. So I think, yeah, I think Nevada is the, like you said, we're kind of the capital of gaming and gaming laws. And so I think if anybody's going to talk about it and regulate it and who who knows the most. And figure it out. Middle key. It's us. Hopefully. Who else? Who else, David? No, I get that. I just, I think there might be more important issues in gambling, especially as it relates to problem gambling, which is just the hill that I am always shouting from the, uh-huh. the highest mountaintop yeah. on. What you really mean is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that a private citizen has spawned this conversation about fairness and integrity at the gambling tables online. But I also wonder if there are other protections that this should spark a conversation on. For instance, should there be a list of who are professional or really good poker players in these spaces? Because, you know, you could be in uh, a hobbyist or an amateur who thinks you're just kind of playing with other people at the same skill level, but there are super poker players on mm-hmm. on there with you who are fleecing you and you didn't even know yeah. that. So what? where do the lists end? Where do the lists end? We'll see if, if this one makes it, but I think that it has a lot more to work out. Vogue, is that you in spades? Are you the super spades player who's yeah. like playing with the newbies? Are you the shark? I was laughing at that because I was spades like... Spades shark. Yahoo Spades has little, has like a little like... Uh, Rating? Ratings. <laughs> it has ratings. So it tells you like what levels you are. Oh. I have no idea what I am now because I haven't played. Like I used to not do homework <laughs> and play online. Sp- I had to ban myself. But like there there was levels to it. So you knew so, like people, that's people smart. leave the online room. Like if so, if Sonia, if you had like one star and I had five and you were my partner, I, I might be like, ooh, this person doesn't know how to play and yep. like boot you from the room if it was my room. That would be correct. <laughs> oh, they have that in backgammon too. Yeah. Okay, so maybe this conversation is important not just to get, you know, a little more integrity with the cheaters, but maybe it opens up a whole conversation about what is fair in an online gambling space. Right. Hmm. That would be fantastic. Yeah, there we go. All right. Okay, gang, guess what it is. What is it? What? It is CityCast Las Vegas's one-year anniversary. We made it, guys. We lasted a year. Anniversary. Oh. And so yeah. much fun this year has been. Sonia, you're the lead producer of CityCast Las Vegas. Tell us about, in the next few minutes, the last year. <laughs> <laughs> tell us. Tell us. Tell us it all. Fast recap. Well, go. As our most dedicated listeners know, and if you're listening today, we love you we so love you. much. I have a lot of love for you. Yes. Listeners. We launched on March 29th, 2022. At that time, we were not going daily. We had just one host, David Figler. 
And then in June, we had the great fortune to bring on the amazing Vogue Robinson <laughs> to the team. You complete me. You complete me. Oh, heart. heart. David is drawing hearts in the air with his fingers right now. I feel like a magician. The amazing yes. Vogue Robinson. <laughs> I'm throwing <laughs> confetti in the air. And we went daily uh, that summer as well. So since last summer, we've been putting out episodes every single day without fail, rain or shine. It's been the whole team behind the scenes. You don't hear Scott on the podcast very often, but you should know that Scott's fingerprints are, are all over these episodes. And Scott has been putting out daily newsletters, uh, now called Hey Las Vegas, since the very beginning. So in light of the fact that our whole team is celebrating one year, I have some special guests for you guys. What? Even I don't know who all this right. is. Entering the Zoom, we have Layla Muhammad. Hello, Layla. Yay. Hi, it's a stretch calling us special guests. I really thought it was going to be Taylor <laughs> Swift, but the Taylor Swift it's, of podcasting Layla. is Layla Muhammad. So. <laughs> this thank is true. You, thank you. I'll take it. All right. Drum roll, please. Possibly the most famous member of our team entering the Zoom is Scott Dickensheets. Hello, Scott. And again, I thought it was going to be George Clooney, and we got the George Clooney of podcasting, Scott Dickensheets. That's right. That's I think true. you both appear as about as much. If only I had his craggy good looks and his money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say I love seeing all your faces in one Zoom room. It is so much fun. Even better when we're all together in person. But today, I have a little question for you guys. Let's indulge ourselves and go around the room. What's either something you've learned from the last year or a memorable moment from the last year of CityCast Las Vegas? I'm going to go for... One of our big fish, I guess I'll say, something that changed a habit of me and my friends was our Pink Box episode with Kim Foster. Mm. Mm-hmm. My friends and I in college used to frequent Pink Box. That was our go-to donut shop. It was right around the corner from my house. Wherever we were, there was a Pink Box nearby that we went to. And after that episode, we cut cold turkey we haven't had pink box since sometimes they still text me and they're like is pink box still a no and i'm like yes it's still a no (laughs) and i think it was for an important reason and kim pointed out the seagull group's practices and we followed them during the last year and i think it was a really great learning moment for the community and for my close circle. So I think in the past year, I'm really proud that we got to air that episode. Hmm. Hmm. I'll popcorn it to Vogue. Yeah. Okay. And we love that concept inside the team of popcorning. Whenever we have think seshes, we popcorn to another team member. So go Vogue, go, go Vogue, <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> I love you for explaining popcorn. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think... Overall, every episode about food and every episode about places to go in town have been my favorites because it's given me a new way to look at the city. This show has has pushed me out of my comfort zone and also as coming out of like pre-vaccination days where it's like, okay, you're vaccinated, you can go out into the world and like slowly taking those steps. I feel like our lists have been the lists that have made me most interested about like where other places I can explore. So 
oh, I can go to Aviquime or, oh, I can try this brunch place or just random factoids about like the Red Claw crayfish. Like just Mm -hmm. all of those things that really show me different sides of our city. And yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking for like dates, you should just go through all of our episodes that tell you places to go and we will keep you fully entertained and and show you a different side of the city that you love. Here, here. Mm -hmm. Popcorn David. Well, I'm going to use my immunity popcorn shield and pop it right over to Scott Dickensheets. <laughs> you don't have a shield. I do. I have the one-time-only-use shield. That's not how popcorn no, works. He developed, popcorn. It, he developed it after our one year. After one year. That was my, I got my one-year badge. Boom. I'll allow it today. We can popcorn to Scott. So David must be wearing the infinity glove today, it appears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I had to pick a moment, that would be impossible. But what I can pick is like, thousands of micro moments that are involved the exchanges that I have with readers mm-hmm. who write in and I just checked the metrics dashboard and we are 12 subscribers away from 20,000 so smash wow. that subscribe Ooh. button Ooh. nice and I hear from I hear from a lot of them and from a wide range of you know locations around the valley the whole spectrum of political positions and you know social status and so on so it's an ongoing sort of education I I will single out one example. A reader named Wayne, as readers know, uh, every Monday I do a, a where is it photo, challenging readers to like see the photo and tell me where it is. And a guy named Wayne has a really high rate of correct answers. And so I assumed this guy's got to be a, a Vegas lifer. He's been here as long as I have. Turns out he's been here for two years. Huh. But wow. he practices this thing that he calls residential sightseeing. Yes. And it basically involves every time he and his wife go to wherever they go, they take a different route as a way to sort of super familiarize themselves with their city. And I love that as a way to, A, habit to connect yourself, to keep connecting, and B, as sort of the embodiment of our mission here at CityCast, which is to foster engagement with the place that we live. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that is stuck in my mind. And so I now, I now know every possible route between my house and the writer's block. So <laughs> I put it into practice. Nice. <laughs> Shout out to Wayne. Yes, Wayne. That's great. You're for the, here for the long cuts and the short cuts. All right, David, will you receive a popcorn at this point? I will. I, I use my immunity on you. So All right. I'll take it. <laughs> you know what? I had a, a, a thought in my head, but I'm going to pivot now because I think what we're doing here on CityCast Las Vegas is residential sightseeing almost every day, looking Mm. at Las Vegas through different eyes and seeing parts of it that maybe we've overlooked before. I am going to admit I live in a bit of a bubble. I follow politics a lot and my area of town and don't really pay much attention in my daily life prior to the podcast to other aspects of it. But I I'm constantly reminded, being part of this podcast, that we're well over 2 million, very diverse in every category of interest, of background, of jobs, of economic strata, et cetera, in this community. And there are so many issues that impact so many different parts of that community. And here on CityCast Las Vegas, I love the fact that we can delve into as many of them as we can find, and that that is a almost limitless array of future episodes. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to getting into stuff. And my favorite episodes are the ones where I knew nothing about that at all. Look, Las Vegas is not known as a podcasting town, but this concept really gives us the ability to connect with people. My last thought on this is 
Uh, as much as I love the podcast and going out into community, whether it's a Supreme Court justice or a business titan, someone who comes up to me and says, oh, I heard that episode, they all universally say, and I start my day with the newsletter. Yes. And that that they read it out loud to their significant other. It's just, it's really wonderful to be part of that conversation and being able to inform and connect with our community. So now I'm going to popcorn to Sonia Cho Swanson. Hello. Bring it home, Sonia. Seconding everything you just said, David, because uh, I like to joke that like our team collectively is like the Kevin Bacon of Las Vegas. <laughs> our our generational <laughs> spread, our geographical spread, like our different fields that we've worked in. I think we we might be connected by at least, you know, three or four degrees to Probably. most corners of the valley, right? Or <laughs> so, two. I think so. I think maybe you're one. Totally right. Well, maybe one. Some in some cases. Yeah. And I also <laughs> love starting my day with Scott's newsletter. It is a buffet of pixelated delights. So Hopefully that was Dick and Cheatsy enough. I hope I'm going, I'm, in fact, I'm going to steal it at some point. Oh, good, good. I think something I have learned from the last year, and it's so funny because I feel like I, as long as I've lived in the Valley, my family's been in Vegas now for 20 years, I don't think I ever fully understood just the weird mishmash of all of our little like layers of government and municipalities. Mm-hmm. And that episode we did with Michael Green, the historian at UNLV, about the county-city divide was eye-opening to me. And then just all of the news that we read constantly, and that is like so deftly explained by Scott in the newsletter too, has just helped me understand like how different governmental bodies kind of work in tandem and sometimes not quite so well in tandem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been that's been really eye-opening. But I guess overall, if I if you'll allow me 30 seconds of sappiness or less, uh, I just feel like I have fallen even more in love with this city by working on this show. And um, I'm just so grateful to you all as a team. You guys are the best. Oh, the best. You still have like 21 seconds of sappiness to go, so. Oh, okay, okay. In that case, (laughs) uh, it's going to be all about Scott and the newsletter and how much I adore Scott. So My annual goals list is protect Scott at all costs. Exactly. That's my goal. Exactly. Mine too, as it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Popcorn back to David. Okay. Well, many more adventures through our city to come, whether it's myth-busting, celebration, explaining, or really just delving into the uniqueness that is Las Vegas. Hey, y'all. Sonia Cho Swanson, Vogue Robinson, Layla Muhammad, and Scott Dickensheets, the team of teams. I'm so proud to be a part of it all. Thank you so much for participating on this anniversary episode and our Friday roundup of CityCast Las Vegas. Yay! Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks, team. Yeah, and that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Mohammed. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets. And our hosts are me, David Figler, and you, Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homeland of the Nuwuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show and you've been enjoying it for a year, Why not tell a friend already? Rate that show. Leave us a review, a special anniversary gift to us, and subscribe to that morning newsletter that we cannot praise enough. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care.